Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome to the Investor Hour podcast. I'm your host Rahul Goel. The goal of this podcast is to learn from the best investment minds of our times. We want to learn their backstory, essentially what makes them them. We want to learn how they make their decisions in their personal lives, and of course. we want to learn about their core principles of investing essentially a lot of learning that could help you make better decisions in life and investing samit vartak's journey to becoming one of the top money managers in india is fascinating a chance encounter with a friend the stock market bubble of the late 90s and a consulting job converted him from a small town person who could not even speak english into what he has become today a very successful and erudite fund manager samit and i talk about the importance of picking the right businesses to invest in about india's strengths and also his thoughts on dealing with wealth he has generated listen in uh, samit welcome uh, to the investor hour delighted to have you i know we've we've tried to get you to our conferences in the past and tried to get you on the podcast i'm so glad we are finally doing this delighted It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful. Uh, so uh, this is going to be our first discussion on the podcast with a stock picker like yourself, who is not based out of Bombay. Okay. <laughs> Financial capital. Everyone's here, but I'm sure, sure there is a reason why you are in Pune, and I think a lot of that filters down to your performance. Where the noise is kept out, and you're doing your stuff. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, to kick this off, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I did see your LinkedIn page, and I could see that there were. Uh, I think you had uh, initially you did a lot of things that were not really correlated, and at right. some point you moved in this. So I want yeah. you to start by literally telling me where you grew up, uh, what was the environment in your in your household about investing, and then from there we'll take it to your job and how it proceeded. Yes. Uh, see, in this aspect, I think uh, my background, uh, my environment probably is going to be very different than uh, you know any other probably fund manager or investor, especially uh, in uh, Mumbai. So I, I'm not too far away from uh, uh, Mumbai. It's about hundred kilometers, you know, north of uh, there, and but it's a small village called uh, Mahim, and it's a beach town. So you know, I grew up there. and uh, there was only one school uh, in in the entire town right which was a marathi medium school right and my parents uh, they were not well educated i mean they had done about i think until uh, the matric uh, at that point but they still wanted us to go into uh, english medium school because you know english was always sort of a sense of insecurity that no one was able to speak and uh, so they sent us to uh, english medium school and but it was extremely poor quality school because it was like you know one of the first time even the teachers there couldn't really speak much of uh, english but uh, you know they tried to cover the cover the portion so my school was about 8 kilometers away so we used to take the state transport you know early in the morning 6 o'clock we used to walk to the bus stop which was probably half a kilometer away and then uh, come to uh, a town called palghar you know and uh, do the schooling and then come back in the evening so that was our daily routine and once you come back then 
you know most of our uh, friends around you know we used to live in that uh, uh, village town where all the vartaks used to live you know uh, so mostly uh, my uh, you know ancestors and their sort of so all of them were all cousins right so our uh, daily routine was once we come back from school we used to just go out you know uh, go in the farm uh, play something either some cricket we used to go to the beach uh, you know do whatever sport we could we could do and it was all fun you know it was uh, there was no real pressure of you know studies or i need to do some other activity i need to learn music i need to learn some other skills you know it was completely uh, free and uh, uh, you know so it was uh, it was real fun my father used to go to the to the farm our farm from the house was about uh, you know couple of kilometers away so he used to come in the evening and once he comes back then you know he used to force us to okay i need to to study but but you know it was i think one of the most uh, enjoyable uh, uh, times as a farmer my father never really you know made much of uh, money because uh, you don't right even even though we were you know few of the uh, larger farmers out there uh, but it was very difficult to uh, make much money because you always had to put up the investment in uh, up front and either there were some issues with the monsoon or some pest and it used to kill crops multiple times you know so it was always a struggle my always my father always had uh, you know debt on his head all his life Uh, and uh, our fees was very uh, you know minimal like you know 4 rupees or 5 rupees a month uh, even though it was uh, an english medium school and even that you know we had to sometimes uh, delay the payment for you know 3 4 months uh, those kind of things. so in terms of equity it was i probably never even dreamt of something called equity my father probably even had never heard of something called a share you know so until uh, i went to the us that was in 1997 i had no idea what an equity meant you know i had zero idea so that was uh, you know sort of my initial year uh, of uh, of uh, equity investment which was absolute absolute uh, zero what what did you guys grow on that farm of yours so see the beach uh, sort of coastal you know konkan belt right so mm-hmm. most of it is so my uh, grandfather you know grandfather uh, used to be the sarpanch of uh, our town you know and he was very uh, sort of entrepreneurial and uh, at that time our town was known for beetle uh, uh, leaves right the pan and he used to so that was uh, a different kind of pan which is not like the one we use uh, you know each year it was all exported to afghanistan and pakistan so he used to actually travel there you know and a uh, few of our villagers used to travel to afghanistan and pakistan and then he used to get uh, those gold coins you know in uh, so he was a big trader at that time so he used to take betel nut and uh, the betel leaves and that was uh, the main crop in our village and then we since it's a you know a beach town it mainly coconuts uh, then bananas and uh, betel leaves and betel nuts you know those are the main crops in that entire uh, entire belt everyone even now grows the same thing even my father today also grows the same thing because you don't get labor these days 
so a crop like uh, coconut or uh, you know betel nut it's almost uh, labor free you know they live 100 years uh, the 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 coconut tree and you just have to you know today it's a drip irrigation so you have water which is pretty automated and uh, so that's what uh, you know the farming and most of my friends are still you know doing the same thing they, mm-hmm. they never left the village because some of them tried getting to uh, mumbai but uh, most of them came back because the life there is much more peaceful and i think this <laughs> Take I think for the, uh, a smaller town may have challenges, but the pros yeah. far outweigh the challenges of you know yeah. so many things. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, someone who has never been uh, to those towns, you know, for an extended period of time, they would never realize how you know peaceful and. Uh, I mean, we try to do that in the cities through you know going through meditation or going through vipassana, but that's the natural way of living, uh, you know, in these where. the life is so simple that you don't get all these complex thoughts your mind is not filled with the mind chatter you know it's yeah. always nice. relaxed because you're always surrounded by such a peaceful uh, environment and even you know when i came to mumbai after 10th standard my parents said you know i got to go to mumbai because we didn't have really any colleges out there so i came to mumbai and uh, i got into parle college but those two years were very stressful for me first of all i couldn't speak english because you know we never spoke english in school right? so i wasn't used to speaking i could write uh, so it was very stressful i always had an insecurity like the the students around me and because parle college they had some of the brightest students out there so those two years were tough and i could see why even my father who came to mumbai for 11th standard you know he could never adjust and he uh, failed and then he went back to Uh, to the village and lot of uh, my probably village mates you know did the same same thing but somehow uh, you know there was some ambition in in me so i survived through through those tough uh, two years and i stuck it out uh, so uh, if i i'm going to talk to you about your us what took you there but i just want to point out one thing you said about free time right i think uh, a lot of people take free time like uh they look down upon it but i think anyone who has evolved a little understands that free time is so important right just sitting at your uh in your library or sitting in a peaceful place and just being there yeah? just be aware of yourself and be there and i think that is so wonderful exactly i think uh, you hit the nail um uh, after going through the us where especially in the us it's all about achievement you know target uh, you know you're always running behind uh, something you know and uh, at that time when you are trying to achieve something you know you really don't think about what are the alternatives right but after you achieve you know something which you th- think that okay it's enough for me then these things start you know becoming more important that you realize that after spending so much time in running behind things and achieving the happiness level hasn't changed actually the stress level has actually gone up right so what's the use i mean my uh, financial situation during childhood was probably you know 0.001% of where i am now uh, but you realize that the happiness level is probably way lower than that there has to be a reason for it 
and then you realize that the happiness level has nothing to do with the outside world you know you always keep on looking for targets in the outside world you know to achieve those and you thought or you think that this is what is going to give me the happiness but in reality it's all inside you and to look inside you need time for yourself you know and that is something that you know as you said we always keep on thinking then why waste time on that it's a waste of time but i think it is one of the most efficient use of time for yourself yeah you know if your end goal is happiness for yourself as a, as well as your family i think the time that you spend in looking inside is probably going to have the most return on time invested in terms of happiness that's so well put you have to remember that it was wonderful what you said uh, so uh, what took you to the us see i mean when i came to uh, mumbai i didn't know much about you know what i wanted to do i had zero idea right so because i was good at math physics those kind of subjects so i got into uh, you know science and then decided okay engineering is something that i wanted to do so i you know because of the financial situation i could only get into like the government school so i got into sardar patel college of engineering i mean you couldn't believe that until i was almost close to giving my 12th exam i did not even know that there was an iit out there you know and then i i always felt that oh i wish i knew when i was in the 10th that I, there was something called an iit but uh, you know i just went on got into engineering i got into civil engineering so you know at that time because i was from the village that excited me i thought you know you could construct buildings bridges and a uh, lot of engineers in the village used to get a lot of you know respect and value so i thought this is great and so i got into civil engineering and then after i did my civil engineering i wasn't sure whether this is what i want to continue you know because imagining in dreams of you know constructing these beautiful structures and actually doing it is very different right so uh, then uh, after my engineering i joined mahindra and mahindra so uh, and i was uh, working there and i was still thinking what should i do uh, and fortunately one of my friends you know he was really smart right who used to live uh, pretty close by uh, in uh, mahim the mumbai mahim and he was applying for colleges in the us for uh, mba and uh, at that time the process was pretty long this was in 96 97 right so the process was very long you had to send a letter that send me a form to apply and it used to take 3 weeks to get the form and then you used to send so it was a long process so he had done that planning long back and after applying wherever he wanted to apply there were two forms left so one was uh, where i went which was washington university in st louis it was one of the top 20 mba schools at that time and there was one ohio state university so he said why don't you uh, apply you know i already have this form and these are pretty good schools so i started thinking so i prepared uh, one month for my gmat i quickly gave that gmat and then applied for uh, this school and it was just pure luck that uh, washington university ended up giving me a scholarship to do an mba so majority of at least my tuition was uh, paid for and uh, since i had no better thing to do i said let me go so i took 30000 rupees of loan from tata trust to uh, get me a plane ticket and that was the first time i ever uh, you know sat in a plane and uh, and then uh, for living expenses you know uh, uh, our one of our doctor he, he had a sister out there 
so they provided me some loan you know for at least setting settling me out uh, there pure luck as i i was in the us oh what a story man <laughs> amazing your friend had the forms yeah <laughs> you got it you didn't have the money you got the scholarship yeah. you didn't have yeah. the money for the flight you got it from the tata trust and yeah. over there you had support wow yeah you must be so and, grateful to all these guys yeah and ironically my friend never ended up going to the us <laughs> oh wow that's <laughs> because, <laughs> because he was targeting you know the top uh, really top okay mm-hmm. right how and, how uh, did it work yeah. how does it work with tata trust they just write you a check for the ticket that's that's all they do that's all that's all oh. they do and you got to pay paid back so as soon as i had my first i you know paid back the uh money so it is completely based on pay they never call you that you know i want we want our money back or anything like that wow yes they they i, I think they took a uh, insurance they had to buy some insurance and mm-hmm. i had to you know submit that uh, certificate to them so once you pay back the money you get the uh, insurance certificate back wow not bad yeah wonderful and yes. then uh, you did all your mba all that over there and then yes. you came back to bombay to to india no no so see uh, 97 was the boom time dot yeah. com is just right. starting so, yes yeah and because this was a university which was giving scholarship there were few indians you know some couple of them were iitians and they were so passionate about the stock market you know they were like mesmerized by wall street and the money they were making you know so they were always talking about stocks and uh, trading and hedge funds and because I, i was hanging around with them you know it interested me so i decided let me take all my courses in uh, finance and investing so that's how i really got interested because it was dot com even my us friend the classmate they were uh, on the side trading you know they were investing in the ipos the ipos were you know going up uh, double triple Uh, on this thing day so it was that kind of an environment it was very difficult to miss out and since it got me interested i tra- started taking these classes uh, i really like like it you know so after i completed my mba in 1999 i actually wasn't sure whether this is what i want to do full time and it wasn't that e- easy anyways to get into wall street with you know uh, uh, 16th rank uh, uh, mba school right so i took my first job you know pwc gave me a signing bonus and because of my engineering background they gave me a consulting job so i was completely happy uh, so that was my uh, you know first first job because even at that time i didn't really have clarity on what i wanted to do it just that this is something that interested me i felt you know it is good as a hobby and as soon as i uh, passed out you know in uh, 1999 i started investing with the signing bonus that i got first i made sure that all the loans were paid off you know and uh, then uh, started investing uh, in the so market did, did you start investing or did you start by trading like your friends over there? <laughs> you know yeah i mean it was uh, mostly trading see what happened was when i uh, graduated or you know completed my mba uh, that was sort of the peak of uh, the markets you know markets from there was just downhill you know so i never thought that i am going to be trading but i invested in lot of those you know dot com companies you know i2 cbel uh, you know all those dot com priceline dot com all <laughs> yes everything and everything that seemed exciting at that time 
so my uh, at that time you know i was so uh, naive that i thought the more uh, you know positive views that analysts have for a stock the great you know so i used to look who which stock has the highest number of buy calls and, uh, you know i invested in those and because the market share falling uh, unfortunate part of us is that they give you so much margin in trading that to recover that loss you you then start using that margin you know so you could actually go up to like six seven times of your you know actual principal and uh, that just accelerates your you know wipe out so you know i started using because the stock fell like 30 40% and uh, that money was uh, you know humongous uh, compared to you know my background right even because my father still had loans and i felt so guilty that uh, when i lost that money you know it i stopped uh, uh, investing i mean because i just couldn't take that uh, pain you know that opportunity cost of that how it would have made difference you know to my father and uh, the family uh, was uh, was very impactful and i stopped i said i need to really learn about uh, trading and because probably because of that loss you know it it made me very determined that i need to get into science really need to learn and i enrolled myself for the cfs program in 2001 i started reading you know that was the real learning i realized that what i learned in my mba probably was just a you know starter course you know and i had to it was a very long long uh, journey and once at least i completed my couple of level of uh, you know cfa and plus read uh, you know few books in 2003 around that i restarted investing which was a very different journey than uh, you know that uh, sort of uh, i did what you should not be doing exactly in investing and good it was done right at the start yeah the capital must have been very <laughs> limited to be even though it was large <laughs> relatively but for you so yes. that was your trial by fire if you will your yes. your baptism into the world of uh, <laughs> investing exactly exactly so uh, do you, uh, do you recollect uh, was there any tmt stock or ice stock whatever they call it uh, that actually if you had held on to you know if if you had for some reason kept some of those shares maybe the amazon shares and forgotten about it were there any shares right. like that that uh, you really picked out ahead of time or it was just pure trading just momentum no, it was it was pure trading momentum you know you uh if you find something more exciting out there where the delta is going to be pretty high you should quickly quickly trade so the stocks that i remember were mostly like uh, cbel cna uh you know i2 uh, uh those kind of you know sales force probably that is something which you know is uh, is doing uh, pretty uh, pretty well but uh, most of the stocks don't even uh, you know they do i mean even uh, uh, cisco you know those kind of stocks but most of the stocks don't have the you know they are not trading at the same price that what they many of them survived but uh, by holding them for the last 20 22 years nothing would have uh, done nothing for me <laughs> yeah and in two, so in 2003 you entered the markets again this time armed with a deeper understanding and 2003 uh, if i have my history right was the start of the next bull run 2003 exactly. yeah exactly so But that this was time you were better prepared this time you were better I was, prepared to deal with it right and you were exactly. still in the so, us still in the us or you back Yes. No, no. I was still in the. I was still in the U.S. Uh, so 2003, uh, because I was well prepared and fortunately the timing was right. 
and as soon as i started investing you know the portfolio started doing really well because the markets were so i got that confidence and then i also got the confidence that this is something that i could do full time you know so and by reading i got really passionate about it and i realized that okay at least you know i had the basic skill set needed to succeed in this you know, and uh, because i also was working with pwc uh it was consulting right so it was more advising a lot of these businesses mostly manufacturing businesses on how do you you know reduce your cost structure how do you optimize your profitability so that also gave me a lot of insight because you know you work with different company every 3 months you know so i could work with so many different managements i could see how they think you know what are the issues at uh, the, the company levels so that experience of you know actually seeing businesses visiting the visiting the, because you worked actually in the factory you know you interviewed lot of people you you know try to figure out what are the issues in each department like what are the redundant research that's like the yes. primary research that you got to do effectively by exactly. so even though it was completely unrelated to the stock market it was extremely useful uh, research uh, uh, you know experience that i that i got and then uh, once i realized okay this is what i want to do full time of course it wasn't that easy to just jump into wall street no one is going to take me there right so i said let me take the next best best option which was moving more towards pure finance so then i moved more towards you know deloitte in the financial advisory which was doing pure valuation you know so from chicago i moved to the you know bay area and that was a pretty good step you know towards stock market right so i did that until i came back to india and coming back to india was always decided you know so i knew that this is where i belong and in 2006 uh, you know i came back and since then mostly then have started you know doing full time investment uh, work and, and uh, uh, in when you made those investments in 2003 uh, can you talk a little bit about those stocks that you picked were these indian stocks us stocks uh any these were so in terms of uh, stock picking i always uh, did us stocks so i didn't even have even have ability to uh, invest in the indian stock other than maybe some of those adr uh, out there so what one one thing i did was i invested in the uh, indian etf you know so because i didn't have the ability to invest in or research on indian stocks uh, so i did about 25% of my allocation just to the indian etf and the remainder i you know selected uh, mostly uh, us company based on, based on my fundamental wow. sort of uh, yeah. analysis whichever were uh, available in the in the us any market. any big winner comes to your mind from that period of your investing no so i think some of the stocks uh, which did well and you know at that time of course i started investing in the names that i knew uh, 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 pretty well you know so but i mean the amount of was so small that i you know i did invest in uh, you know amazon because i liked uh, you know their model i thought you know that was something which was uh, you know completely uh, changing uh, so i invested in amazon there are a lot of uh, manufacturing companies uh, in there smaller companies you know which probably you wouldn't even know but mostly it was uh, because of my manufacturing background you know those were the kind of companies that i found investing i used to read those uh, you know the investors business daily Uh, who is to give uh, you know so i think it's called the canslim uh, sort of uh, method right so because i was doing a full time job and then the work you know hours were very long 
you didn't really get too much time on researching on a lot of these stocks you relied a lot on but at least i know that i need which are the factors which i need to focus on you know so i based on just more analyzing the factors i took a call on okay these are the stocks that really make sense to me and these are the stocks that i you know i need to invest so uh, so we you know we spoke of 99 and the meltdown and your experience then in uh, you know you came back to india you said 2006 7 2006 that's on the eve of a massive spike in the markets and a subsequent yes. crash how did yes. that play out what you, by then you were a full time investor you're yes. tracking everything how were you placed going into it and what was the experience like in that phase what what is now called the great financial crisis right right so because of my experience you know in 1999 to 2001 period i had become much more cautious on uh, the you know losing money right so in 2007 and 8 and i since i had done valuations for few years and i had a sense of what are the fair valuations for company so one thing which i did was after i came back you know at that time the times were pretty uh, exciting i don't even remember which kind of companies i invested in you know during that 2006 period i invested very less because i thought i need to only invest once i understand these companies in depth and really well because that is one of the big mistakes that you do you know is that if you don't and especially in markets like india you know where a lot of these companies do not have the history a lot of the business models were pretty new you know even the the booming companies at that time were a lot of infrastructure companies the real estate uh, kind of companies and uh, somehow i never you know really liked those kind of business models you know i thought that uh, uh, you know the businesses which are much more cyclical a lot of these companies do not really have control on the margins that they make you know they are more driven by the entire environment around them right whereas i need to focus on companies which are you know which generally drive their own faith, uh, you know path right and uh, because of that what happened was i ended up sitting a lot on cash during that time period because i took my time oh, great call yeah you know yeah and uh, hence uh, during that period i probably i had you know almost 35 40% cash during that time and then when the markets corrected in 2009 by that time i had gotten some sense of how the indian markets work you know and my first job was i mean my job uh, in the investment field in india was with in, in a private equity setting and uh, private equity was booming during that time so there were uh, you know 10 deals that we used to get every month you know so you get got a chance to evaluate those deals go meet those companies do some due diligence on companies where at least you thought there is a potential to invest and that kind of a groundwork again you know was very useful so from 2006 to 2012 probably i ended up meeting around 400 companies during that time oh wow just yeah because you know there were so many uh, even after the crash i mean indian markets after uh, during the 2009 to 2011 period again boomed yeah you know so a lot of things the activity uh, really picked up so uh, the only change which happened was from 2006 to 2009 i mostly focused on the unlisted side whereas from 2009 even at a uh, company level in the private we decided we need to focus on the listed space so then we completely changed our uh, focus to listed because listed was available at probably one third the price of, of what similar companies you got in the private equity side so we shifted that and that was a 
good uh, change for me and uh, private equity was a time period when you know i interacted with few promoters and you know couple of them became friends and uh, you know those were sort of my first investors you know when i started on my own in 2012 wow uh, so uh, you uh, you went through 99 2000 had that experience uh the pwc experience is really i think wh- what i'm hearing is is giving you an insight which few analysts will ever have unless they've been in the role where they are behind you know working right. from behind and understanding and right. then uh, you of course the all the 400 companies that you studied the pe exposure unlisted i guess if you want to become a very good investor you should have a good sense of how the unlisted space is also working because it's like a fungible valuations uh, feed exactly. off each other Right. and uh, so that probably laid a foundation for what you went on to do because it's pretty unique right yeah. a lot of the people yeah. i uh, i talk to uh, almost always their first job is related to investing directly uh, be it stock broking be it investing be it trading but in your case is a little different history which i think sort of feeds into you know uh, what what you've grown into now uh, yeah. what sage one has become uh and uh, uh you know i had a chance to read one of your notes by the way a couple of years ago and i was very impressed it was a three page or four page note on i think it was green hydrogen if i'm not mistaken and i found sure. it so you know it was simple <laughs> but yet very impactful right yeah so all that research yeah. learning has sort of found its way into right. the structure and the culture that you built which is you have to go deep into whatever you do right exactly because see i never went through a you know standard uh investment professional kind of path right i never worked for a mutual fund or any pms or anyone right so my and because of my probably grandfather i already had that entrepreneurial you know bug in my mind and that's where i mean you couldn't imagine that when i changed my job from i was an associate director in the valuation practice i changed into private equity i took 70% cut in my salary because it was a sort of a field change right so and i was completely uh, you know happy uh, during that time and uh, so as you get brainwashed into you know building a portfolio the way it has been traditionally done right and most of the mutual funds would do it the way that they always keep on benchmarking against and against an index and it's all about you know creating alpha whether it's by your sector allocation or your uh, you know allocation at an ind- individual stock right whereas i never thought in those terms you know for me it was you know i have a decision to make i can either become a full time entrepreneur or i can pick businesses which i like and sort of become you know indirect entrepreneur you know which the businesses i invest in are the ones that i wish i could have started you know so i always thought in those terms you know so it was never about sort of benchmarking or all those technical aspects uh, you know of, of investing i needed to create or build a bunch of uh, great businesses that i and because of my background i always thought i put myself in their shoes as a promoter's shoes and wherever i agreed that okay the promoter is doing the right thing for the business i always thought strategically about uh, about that and uh, that's how i picked up and built up the 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 portfolio it was you know not much to do with what tfa taught me 
It was the companies, the businesses you were buying. It was the companies, the businesses. I always thought in terms of the business. Even now, I I think you know think about the same same thing. I do not really care what's in the index, and you know I need to beat the index, and you know I need to make sure that I need to have some stock in this industry, that industry. It's very simple. You know, I always just think uh, bottoms up. I think I am running those businesses. Do I agree what agree with what they have? Most of the promoters are well. beyond you know what could I, what what i could have done you know in those uh, in their shoes and i think that they can run these businesses much better than i i could do you know so because of the entrepreneurial mindset you know i think holding great entrepreneurs in my portfolio is what uh, will deliver me uh, this return and fortunately okay. for me i myself also become an entrepreneur because in 2012 i started on my own you know with i mean those couple of promoters gave me like 1 crore each right and i didn't uh, have much money at that time at all because i never really you know uh, uh, i took a you know 70% uh, haircut and my salary never changed during those five years because you know the private equity uh, the fund didn't do you know that uh, that well or we didn't end up investing in too many of the, of, of those but it was great uh, you know learning for 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 me and i thought that uh, you know this is what i want to do full time and if i want to do this full time why not do it the way i think it's right to do and i had done it for myself you know at least starting in 2008 9 i started fully investing into the into the indian uh, markets and i used that as sort of a preparatory period you know those 4 5 years and by 2012 uh, you know informally i had advised few couple of those promoters for you know 3 4 years they had done pretty well and i got confidence enough that i can do it you know for others and that's how you know the journey really started so uh, a couple of points of, i i note in what you said one is that you took a big salary cut to go into a field that appealed to you and i think yeah. all the people who are listening and watching this i think it's so important to understand that early in your career uh, you need to make moves which may not sound monetarily wise but long term they are sure genius because they help you move on the path which you like and want to be on money is exactly. a byproduct it will come sooner or later i think uh, that is critical and the second thing i'm again i'm saying this is it is fascinating that when i'm talking to you you have not mentioned the word valuation even once you're talking of good businesses right and that is so critical and i if i may draw a kind of a parallel if you will you know buffett understands businesses because he runs businesses and a lot of his investment decisions i'm sure uh, uh, have benefited from that experience of actually running a business and really understanding what goes on right exactly and i think uh, that is so wonderful and that's that's so unique yeah a big big congrats to you for taking all those tough decisions early on but they've given you a a platform that is so unique yes yes i, I mean you learn along the along the way but i think See whatever you learn, you have to make sense of them fundamentally. You know, if someone is telling you that you need to have diversification, you need to understand what are the fundamentals behind diversification, right? If someone is telling you, okay, you need to beat beat an index, again, you need to understand why do I need to beat an index? You know, why can't just I have an independent return yeah. expectation? Yeah. Right? Why do I need to beat an index every month or every quarter? I follow or the herd. Just everyone's just following right. the herd. Yeah. Correct. So, would I do that for myself? 
right and my theory was that i am not going to do something just because i have started a business you know i am not going to follow the herd of beating the index and you know following the same benchmarks for myself right what was the core for me was would i do this for myself if i can do it for because generally you take the best decisions the most efficient decisions if others are not pressuring you right if you are doing it for yourself independent of others and i thought that that is the right thing to do right so i said i will you know do what i would have done for myself if i was just managing my own own money and that becomes that has become the core of you know what decisions the portfolio construction you know what kind of stocks come into the portfolio you know as i said as you know as you also said that yeah it is all about the business valuation is never a starting point you know i need to invest in entrepreneurs and in great businesses going forward right i can be very flexible on uh, valuation and because fortunately for me i had done professional valuation i had some sense of what a fair valuation means so of course you know valuation is never one number you know valuation can be a huge range at one end it can be under valuation or other end it can be little bit over valuation and beyond that is excess valuation you know where you don't want to touch but that range of valuation can be 20 times multiple or can be 40 times multiple within that range you do not know what is the right multiple right you just know that okay below this is extraordinary attractive multiple and beyond this is extraordinary expensive multiple you know so if it's in between which is a pretty wide range you just focus on businesses and just avoid businesses which are extraordinarily expensive so uh, you uh, that's you know very thought provoking uh, you set up sage one in uh, 2014 12. 12 okay 2012 we set up your uh, the business yes. that you run uh, Uh, let's let's come back to the next uh, uh, period the pandemic and the post pandemic how has that been for you how were you placed pre pandemic and yes. and what went through your mind when the market started to collapse in mid march 2020 and then what did you do when you when the turnaround happened because i think uh, if i may some of those days everyone at least in the uh, in a small group of people uh, that i would sort of seek an opinion from they all were waiting to see what buffett is going to say and buffett very smartly said in march 2020 or someone said on his behalf that he is not going to be speaking till the 1st of may on the agm date <laughs> okay you remember that okay. he went mute yeah. he could not speak right. the only right. person who spoke was charlie munger and he made a comment he says it's important to come out at the other end of the crisis with more cash basically he was paying uh, he was saying it's more important to survive than to yeah. do anything else how right. what was going through your mind at that phase right right so let me also give you a little bit of background you know how i went into the so when i started in 2012 it was obviously a great time to you know start uh, professional uh, fund management so from 2012 to the 2017 was a golden period you know i mean uh, sage one itself uh, the funds probably multiplied 6 or 7x during that that time and because we were accumulating businesses great businesses high growth businesses mostly the focus was on the small and mid cap and uh, you know that universe had a great uh, time so along with that and we fortunately had picked pick, you know better businesses within that so they did uh, very well then came 2018 19 which was one of the toughest period for small and mid caps it wasn't just because of the correction the correction was okay 20 25% is with uh, but the problem was the nifty kept on going up 
you know so the nifty went up probably uh, further 10% and here you have your portfolio going down by 20 25% so divergence was pretty uh, pretty uh, pretty huge and because that was sort of as a professional fund manager that was the first big drawdown that i had seen in the portfolio right and uh, you know so that was a extremely difficult uh, period for me in the meantime you know between 2014 and uh, 16 for about 3 years i had uh, two more partners that had uh, you know had gotten and uh, that partnership broke in 2017 exact time when the peak happened and people also started questioning you know is it you know so it was uh, all partnership driven and the performance has just tanked uh, but so it was a extremely difficult period and lot of my ama also aom also went away because uh, you know the the marketing and fundraising was responsible to those two partners and they took away uh, you know the the aom then so my aom shrank probably to you know 35 40% of what i had at the same time I was going through that tough period where there was no explanation why you know we are under underperforming and then uh, then uh, slowly once we started recovering you know the government did that uh, big tax cut uh corporate tax cut in september 19 and things started looking pretty well the businesses that we held they were pretty good you know so they were still delivering so between 2017 to 2019 their earnings probably had gone up by 70 80% but the valuations had corrected by more than uh, you know 50% so hence the portfolio was still down during that uh, that time period and that forced us to look even deeper into those businesses you know whether you know those are the businesses that we should be holding because maybe we paid little higher valuation so we went through a lot of introspection uh, questioning uh, our search but then the businesses anyway started recovering you know so we had almost recovered all the losses before start of the pandemic you know and then the clients also started getting a lot of confidence right and uh, we started outperforming again and then hit the pandemic you know so at that time uh, you know and that was a period which forced me to get more into meditation and uh, you know spirituality i mean i was always a spiritual person but those two tough years you know probably taught me more about myself than any of the previous uh, years so by the time covid hit i think i had become much more stronger uh, mentally right and i could take the right decision because i think once you are very stable mentally you end up taking the right decision and in equity investments those tiny decisions that you end up taking you know make a lot of difference in terms of not only returns but the confidence it gives to your clients right so by end of february a lot of this uh, covid related discussion started uh, coming in and then i started you know thinking what is it that i need to do right so by first week of march i realized that there are too many uncertainties uncertainties in the market we do not know how covid is going to play out we do not know what kind of action each of the governments are going to take and what is going to be impact on the economy you know so there will be too many unknown unknowns and one thing i had learned is that when there are too many unknown unknowns it's not worth taking the full risk so we took a call to raise some cash not too much because after you can never really time the market but even 20% of cash is good enough it it gives a lot of comfort to yourself as well as uh, to the client so we took a call 
that uh, you know we need to raise so immediately we raised uh, you know by end of the first week of march we raised that kind of a cash in all the portfolios and we thought that this is going to play out over the next 3 months or 4 9 4 months you know we don't know how it's going so i even wrote a note uh, to my client explaining the thought process right but then between i think march 10th and uh, march 23rd markets fell by almost 30% they just crashed yeah. so what i thought is going to happen over the next 3 months or 6 months happened in a matter of a couple of weeks you know and then a lot of government started taking the action of completely shutting down the economy uh, even uh, pm modi came you know live and then he announced a full lockdown and i thought the markets around 30% and now at least we have some clarity how covid is evolving and what is the action that the governments are taking and what is the reflection in the economy and uh, i thought now there are many known knowns and the market pricing is reflecting you know those those threats so we took a call that now there is no point in uh, you know it's worth taking uh, the risk so between march 25th and the first week of april we said we just really need to deploy whatever cash we had raised so we took uh, that call and then even in that memo i had written why we took that call and i explained this theory about unknown unknowns time period when there is too much uncertainty you need to create some dry powder and when there are no known risks which are factored into the prices that's when you need to jump in into the market right because there is uncertainty you know which generally markets tend to extrapolate you know and most of the time those kind of scenarios don't play out you know and the markets anyways uh, you know correct sharply i mean 30% is a pretty sharp fall when uh, especially in the mid and small cap they had barely recovered and they were well you know they were 65% down the small cap index was 65% down from the peak in jan 2018 right so that's how cheap uh, markets had become and i thought there is no reason why we should wait further you know to uh, deploy wow that's so, so that we got both the sides of the trade right it was cash and going back in wow. yeah yeah and it was fortunate i mean and it has lot to do with that we didn't panic at that time the mark the the brain the mind was pretty open yeah yes yeah, yeah you know uh, we were not pressurized by the situation and uh, i think that situation you know you end up taking the right decision yeah i i think that that cannot be emphasized enough the point that if you are stable and if you if you if you uh, are aware in times of crisis uh, you can just deal with it in such a, be- a far better way other uh, right. other you know as getting your emotions take control and that that's what happened in the market you know the emotions right. took control there was a massive sell off and a massive bounce back a uh, right. sensible investor like you could have just played the both the sides without doing anything extraordinary just you know looking right. at the facts and uh, acting on it Right. so and i think at yeah. such moment it's very important to have that independent thinking because a lot of times you look for confirmation from outside you know whereas uh, by the time you get that confirmation it will be too late so if you're independent thinking if your fundamentals are right you know when you realize that i mean after going to multiple cycles you get a sense of the fear level in the market you know and you generally do not get anything wrong if you invest during that kind of fear level you know irrespective of whatever the situation is 
when the fear level is too high and the uh, fear level i had never seen that high any time in my previous even even during the financial crisis i mean the markets were falling 10% you know on a daily basis even uh, huge hdfc kotaks were hitting lower surface you know 15% and that showed you the extent of fear uh, you know in the market and most of the time uh, almost everything and more gets priced in during such environments so uh, uh, you know we spoke about dry powder and the need for it when there are unknown unknowns so one of the other pet themes that we have on the investor hour is to talk asset allocation uh broader asset allocation and the reason is because we believe that in the long run your overall asset allocation is going to have a disproportionate effect on the wealth you build over time so one is of course your allocation within equity cash equity sure. uh, and overall you know how much should you do in stocks how much do you do in property gold etc as you as an individual summit how do you think of asset allocation when you're planning your finances your family's future right see i am a core equity investor you know i do not really understand any other asset class as much as i do understand the equity and what i think is that lot of the asset allocation theory has been built by uh, you know the us endowment fund experts right and endowment funds need liquidity on a yearly basis right so for them the volatility in returns is extremely risky you know because you need certain uh, you know amount of fund every year and if your returns are negative during any year then uh, you know it uh, it has a huge implications on their research projects and you know the spend that that they do so lot of uh, the theory which has been built in terms of asset allocation is based, based on how do you reduce the volatility of your return even if it compromises on your total returns in the long run right whereas i believe for a you know for a rational investor you know his focus has to be on asset class which he understands pretty well he understand the risks of that so something which works out for me may not work out for you know someone else but if he is confident that this asset class is going to deliver him say 17% or 20% compared to some other asset class which is much lower his focus has to be in that asset class and he should be willing to take the volatility so any money that he would need like what endowment funds need if you need that money say in 5 years or 7 years or 10 years that money should not be invested in that asset class if there is but but if you are confident enough that in the next 10 years this is the asset class which is going to deliver me 20% return versus investing in a bond market which is going to deliver me 7% return or investing in real estate which is going to deliver me 8% return i don't see any reason why i should be allocating my money into those lower returning asset class the key is that i should not have any funds needed during that horizon so plan your so, cash plan your needs and the rest right. of it you know, if you understand the space the return sort of matches up that's where you go that's Absolutely. a very interesting approach to think about it yeah yeah for myself i think that i you know i frankly believe that the highest returns will be made in the equity uh, asset class and especially in the indian equity uh, asset class and uh, i also have built expertise in uh, in that 
I understand the risk. My basic needs are met, you know, for the next, you know. So if I am protected in that sense, you know, plus, you know, I will have an incoming cash flow, which will also take care of my expenses and more, right? Then why should I be investing? So that's where I am completely 100% invested in the two schemes that I have. I do not have investment in properties. I do not have investment in any other asset class and uh, may not work for anyone, but I feel this is where I can build the most uh, maximum amount of wealth, you know, because it makes a huge difference, right? Uh, you uh, you generating a 25% return or 26% return, giving you 10x in 10 years, or uh, you know 100x in 20 years and 1000x in uh, 30 years, versus an asset class which delivers a 7% return, which we will double in uh, 10 years, 4x. And then, uh, you know, 8x in 30 years. So 8x versus 1000x is a massive wealth difference. I think it's well worth uh, taking the risk. If you understand the risks of the And the magic word over there is, uh, if you understand the risk. Right. If, if you've got a grip on that, you can, uh, yeah, you should allocate that. I, you know, that kind of makes sense to me. Typically, what I would tell people is, and what other guests also over time have said, that, uh, uh, you know, we're a, we are a developing country. So yeah. we tend to have risks uh, which are like unknown unknowns, right? In many senses. Yeah. And therefore, you know, you can always hedge. Uh, but, you know, uh, just the previous investor, are, you know, we had uh, Gautam Beth on the, uh, 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 as a guest. And yeah. he was telling us that you should try and keep five years of cash that you need to run your life separate. Right. And, and then, you know, that takes away the pressure that I think I think he mentioned that one of the biggest reasons people don't make money is because they have to sell their shares to meet a current need. Exactly. So keep your five years cash and then just do the asset class you really understand. He was talking about equities like you. Yeah. Uh, and he said that works uh, uh, very well for him. And right. uh, right. kind of appeals to me too, if you ask me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. No, and I mean, one has to understand the risk. Like I, in my recent memo, I presented this, right? Equity market returns are extremely concentrated. Right. So if you came in uh, during Harshad Mehta peak in 1992, when the valuations were at 10 times price to book for Sensex, even in 2004, the Sensex level was the same. So 12 years you spent making absolutely zero returns. And then 2003 to 2007 was a golden period, you know, where Sensex itself went up by probably six, seven X during that time, you know. But the starting point for Sensex was at two times price to book, right? So of course it does make a difference at what level you do enter. Yeah. And then by 2008, again, the Sensex price to book had gone up to six and a half times. Then if you entered at that point, hmm. by 2014, again, you had the same level, you know, for yeah. six years, uh, equity investor made zero returns during that time. And then again, you had a pretty golden period from 2013 to 2017. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, continues. So, you know, it does make sense in the long run. You should also think about your entry point. I think it's a misconception that, you know, you shouldn't at all try to time the market. You know, there are, in the short run, you cannot time the market. But once you start thinking longer term returns, your starting point makes a lot of difference. Unfortunately, for most uh, general investors, they get the most confidence when everyone around them is so confident about equity markets. And during that time, the valuations are generally at all time high. You know, so entry point for most investors 
tend to be way above average and hence most of the investors tend to make way below average returns in the equity markets yeah, yeah. uh you spoke about you know uh the potential of returns in stock market vis-a-vis -vis others and that's why you're focused so in that connection uh let's talk india right uh i know you mentioned uh, just a while back that you're very bottom up in the way you look at businesses uh, i'm keen to understand from you how do you see india's prospects uh, and i'm talking like 5 10 10 in decades like how do you see it going and uh, is that a source of confidence or no confidence in terms of how people should be thinking about investing and growing their wealth see um india as as a country uh, one of the strength of india is the entrepreneurs that india has right so india has uh, and you know you don't need all the 1.3 billion population to be entrepreneurial you know the the numbers which will drive the indian growth which will take india forward will be probably less than 1% of that population right and that population we have in plenty right and you can see that more and more i think for the good of india at least the way india used to work before and now is very different you know there is very little uh, inefficient lending which is happening uh, today you know so if you look at the period especially from 2003 to 2008 if your real need was 100 you know you probably got funding of 150 or 200 and a lot of that excess money was you know siphoned off okay. you know so you could see huge uh, credit growth but i i think it was extremely inefficient credit growth and we faced the consequences of that you know uh, when it was cleaned up you know by 2018 and 19 i think today lot of those promoters who played with that system who gained advantage because of you know this aspect of india i think those are either non existent today or they are extremely you know minor right the ones who are building great businesses are the ones uh, who are frugal they are competent and they are very efficient i think they are some of the best entrepreneurs uh, businessmen in the world you know and i have seen multiple businesses multiple management and today when i meet these managements they are extremely knowledgeable their ambitions are high and that is the strength uh, you know of uh, of uh, uh, india right and uh, so one other strong thing for india is corporate india is extremely deleveraged you know so they have such a huge uh, leeway for growth going forward so whenever the opportunity arises i think they have such a huge balance sheet uh, you know leeway to leverage more today the debt to equity ratio you know generally people do talk about the overall debt to equity ratio which is probably at 0.4 or 1.45 but actually if you look at the median debt to equity ratio is at 0.15 that means most of the companies so median debt to equity ratio of the top 1000 companies in india is at 0.15 you know that means and that is the lowest level india has ever ever seen and and that is because of the efficiency of these promoters that they have been able to grow and they have expanded capacity multiple times without increase in their loan book even previously our entrepreneurs never needed these kind of loans but unfortunately the the goal was completely different it was making money for themselves 
I think most of these promoters have realized that by taking away one rupee from your company, your valuation drops by only five sixty, seventy, eighty percent. So it's not; it doesn't make sense even monetarily for them. And that's a lesson which they have learned. And once you damage your reputation once, it will stay with you for your life, right? So. i think the promoters who have left who they understand you know this uh commercial or viability and they are focusing on on that and i am very positive on the entrepreneurial spirit of india many of the second generation have been educated in the best institutions in the world they are coming back the smartest of you know the uh, uh, brains are coming back uh, to india and we don't need too many of them you know probably even if we have few lakhs of those they can propel india to a very different level and fortunately for us the government since september 19 has taken the right action you know the best action i thought was the game changing for india was cutting that corporate, corporate tax price. which has made india one of the most you know efficient or lowest tax uh, countries and with the kind of frugal promoters that we have you know now they can really compete uh, with the world and the opportunity for us is china you know because china has done extremely well you know they are the lowest cost producer but it's because of the incentives and the support by the government right so how long can china keep on raising its debt level and funding the low cost of manufacturing i think it's about time many of those uh, companies probably will go bankrupt without the support and the government will have to sort of take away the ventilator you know f- uh, from them and that is an opportunity for india you know and uh, and hence i believe if this combination stays of the entrepreneurs of the government and the way things are you know in uh, our main competitor which is uh, china and also some manufacturing in europe uh, you know if india takes the right steps it's going to be a the best probably couple of decades uh, for india yeah i i agree with everything you said i think things have changed rather dramatically though i think uh, as indians we are always optimistic right we fought in 91 the world has changed and what we are getting is in spurts we have changes and then a long period of stagnation right in recent uh, i guess a decade or little bit here or there uh there has been persistent uh, uh taking steps uh, you know going forward but typical of india because a large country diverse opinion some steps are half back rolled back etc but right. overall i think is just becoming far more predictable that we are moving in the right direction and we can see that yeah. with every passing day and you know i always tell people that uh, you know the one person who doesn't get enough credit for a lot of this is nandan nilakeni a lot of this that we are benefiting from is linked to that yeah. aadhar thing that he built Absolutely. and it works so perfectly right all your yeah. lending you can't the bank card the deduping the yeah. the direct benefits uh, yeah i mean the yeah the data analytics has gone to a completely different level because of the availability of data the data collection is all linked to the aadhar card Yeah. and uh, i'm 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 uh, very very bullish on uh, uh, india in that sense i think uh, and i completely share your view and i like the way you put it uh and yeah the the key thing is that we should stay on this path 
you know, a lot of yeah. the emerging market countries. If you look at uh, BRICS, right? Yeah. You know, uh, Brazil has gone through, I think, maybe bankruptcies. They've had a currency yeah. which has got hammered. Russia right. is, you know, Russia is Russia. Right. And right. China is imploding. So imploding. one of the things, yeah. uh, one of the things that I'm seeing is in Indian, in the Indian media, when we hmm. talk of China, we talk of it from a geopolitical perspective. Right. But if the Indian media was to cover what's happening from an economic perspective within China, it's yeah. outright scary. It is. It is absolutely it's so scary what's been happening yeah. over there in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, they can put a lid on it as long as they want to, but the businesses right. will shift. Yeah. I mean, if you hear some of the free sort of reporters who are reporting what's happening at the ground level in Beijing or it is scary. I mean, if that was happening in India, I mean, I would be depressed, you know, so, um, and that will open up the, you know, all reduce the competition hugely for, for yeah. India because it was an unfair competition that, uh, you know, it was similar to a promoter, you know, getting one and a half X or two X of uh, funding and he didn't care about the price at which, you know, he was they were dumping the product and the yeah, they were dumping. Right? They were dumping. Yeah, they got the they're dumping. Yeah. Right. Because they made their money. Their business running was not for making their own money going for or for the investors. Right. So that was the case in China. I think the way those kind of promoters, you know, went through a tough phase and vanished, I think similar thing can happen uh, to a lot of these Chinese companies. Yeah. And uh, I think it's fair for the world. You know, I think uh, no, later you have to pay the bill. You can't kick it right. down the road permanently. And I think right. India, the way I think the way India is trying to do this uh, with the production linked incentive scheme is a little bit more smarter. Uh, you know, they have, they have, there's a clear horizon of how much you will get over what right. time period you get. They're not like unlimited. You build any business and we'll just get the market share and, you know, exactly. and help you out. Yeah. Right. And even in the PLI scheme, you know, you got to set up your price. You got to commit to certain volume. Yeah. And only if you deliver on that, if you execute on that, you will get. It's not like, you know, the wind farms that you just put up a wind farm and you'll get, you know, accelerated depreciation of, you know, 150%, all of that, which was government paying more than what was invested, you know, didn't make sense. Whereas this is only get paid if you're delivering what you're on your commitment. Yeah. And even for that commitment, there is competition. Not everyone who applies for the PLS team gets it. The yeah. most efficient player is the only one who gets uh, approval. Yeah, right? so that's it's a very so, such a right way to do it. To make it yeah. competitive, perfectly. Exactly. Uh, pivoting, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Pivoting a little, uh, Samit. Yes. Uh, talk to me about selling a stock. Uh, I think one of the biggest reasons people don't make money is because they hold on to their losers, right? Uh, I've asked this question in our previous investor hours, and I've got fascinating responses of how people should think about selling and make it an easier process. Have you yeah. been through that uh, experience where you own a stock you really believe in and it's refusing to do anything? And how did you deal with that and how are you taking care of that bias? Right. No, I mean, see, that is sort of a rookie mistake that most investors end up making. You know, the rookie mistake is that the stock which falls the more, you end up, you know, having to buy more and more. Because averaging you down. You keep averaging down. Averaging. You keep averaging down because you think you've got to make the money in the same stock. And if I book losses, you know, that's a failure on my own. And that is a mistake that, you know, I learned early in my, uh, you know, uh, career. That 
it's never about the price you know it's all about the business right there is a reason why prices uh, go down right and fortunately as a fund manager you know for a pms fund manager you keep on getting money every day right so for me every day is a new day right i got to think whether if i have to rebuild my portfolio which are the stocks which will come into the portfolio without any overhang of whether i bought a stock at x and today it's at half x or whether it's at 5x right so that discipline that i put you know as a process that stock which i am confident of buying today are the only ones i should have in the portfolio if the stock has gone up say 5x and for a new investor i feel uncomfortable buying it why should i have it in my own portfolio yeah. right because my job is to think about a portfolio which is the most optimal portfolio going forward right so irrespective of whether the investor is 5 year old or investor is 0 year old why should that stock portfolio be different right because that's a question and that's the uh very different approach that every even fund manager follows especially pms a mutual fund is just one fund but pms it's individual portfolios at a, you know and uh, there are pmss who completely have customized portfolio depending on the time of entry of that put i think you know that is giving bias to the entry points of the old portfolio right why should i be uh, you know having a different portfolio if i think that this is the most optimal portfolio going forward next years right so this is the uh, uh, fundamental based on which we take a decision of ex- exiting or uh, you know buying more if we think that the business hasn't changed and the price has fallen because maybe in india you know it is very normal that an investor or a mutual fund wants to get out and the price falls by 30% or 40% if you know the reason okay this is a specific reason it is going to end then that's a great time for you to add on but sometimes you know you don't know what the reason is there are many smarter investors who know the real reason and the stock keeps on going down because the business itself is you know deteriorating right and if that's the case for you it's better that you just get out you made a mistake cut your losses yeah cut your losses so most often i will never uh, average down you know i would let the if i think okay even it makes sense the business has come down a bit but it still makes sense for me to hold it for the next 5 years there are tough periods you know and so i will keep my allocation so if i start my allocation say at 4% because the stock has gone down by 50% probably allocation has gone down to 2% so now the risk itself has overall uh, you know gone down yeah. and if i get a pivot that okay this is the time to you know add back at that time i'll probably instead of going in just back to 4% i can go even back to 6% and i have done it multiple times so mm-hmm. i can triple my position you know at probably you know 60% lower price but there has to be a pivot and i don't need to be early in the game let things turn around even if it goes up by 10 15% more i am fine but you know i need to get that confidence about the business and then i can you know add back completely but when it, when it's going down it's like you know i don't want to catch the falling knife and it doesn't even uh, you know make sense uh, okay. that that's very helpful uh a quick word on uh, investing in times of war and inflation we are in, in, yeah, in between so, both <laughs> right right see 
i think we are in a world where there are going to be some fears some issues all the time you know sometimes it's going to be some war somewhere sometimes it's going to be i mean we have had a war somewhere some you know sometimes it gets into the media much more than you know uh, not if if there are some prominent companies like russia you know but those things are going to be constant you know whether it's inflation some kind of a recession uh, fear some kind of a meltdown financial uh, issues war they are going to change the names the risk is going to change the name but one has to operate in uh, those uh, environment i think those kind of fearful environment is what gives you the prices you know which are attractive right so i never thought that india really deserved the fall you know when it went through uh, in the first half of this this year because you know for india 7% 8% inflation is pretty normal you know our salary increases are on an average at least 10% right so when your income is going above by at least 10% at a overall bse 500 level the increase in salaries over the last 10 years has been 13% right so even if i assume that okay some part of it is going to be because of the increase in the workforce but still 10% is going to be an average growth so for 10% growth 7% inflation is you know really not worryful right and uh, in us where the salary increases are going to be in 2 to 3% range there 8 9% can inflation really has a huge impact on the consumption or the thought process of of the consumer right so india and again you know it's the macro things are always good to know which all about how you put your company in that environment whether your company is going to be disrupted whether they will face any issues because of those risks that are probably prevailing uh, in the in the world today and that evaluation is a constant evaluation that one needs to do because the risk which will be emerging will be very different and if you think that your business is going to be impacted by you know some of those risks then your evaluation of that business may not be right because then it it is dependent on many things you know its success is not in all kinds of environment whereas your goal has to be picking a business i mean what is the moat of a business or what is the competitive advantage of a business you know this kind of how it would react to the risk is uh, is very important when you evaluate the competitive advantages of a of a business and uh, you need to get to a portfolio where whether it's a war whether it's an inflation it's just a temporary blip and the company can adjust to it and move on you know that is what is the real competitive advantage uh, and that's how we evaluate you know macro wise there are very uh, few situation like what happened in covid where we will take a macro call because there are too many unknown unknowns today is the war scenario or the inflation is so talked about yeah that mostly it falls under the known known yeah and it just does get priced tail so you don't really need to take any action you just need to focus on your individual businesses and evaluate whether you know they can withstand you know in that environment okay my last three questions for you please uh so uh, you're married yeah uh there was a pandemic your wife couldn't go out a lot you guys couldn't go out a lot on holidays and all so your wife comes to you and says hey samit i saved up a crore of rupees in these last two and a half years and she says okay now tell me what i should do with it what would you tell her <laughs> right uh, 
see my natural uh, first instinct is to you know invest into the into the market you know because whatever you need for your normal life you know generally is already taken care of you know on the side so any excess money that you typically get you know get invested uh, invested invested into the stock market because fortunately for us you know my in-laws live in the same uh, sort of building uh, on the ground floor and uh, even they keep on you know getting some excess money and they are pretty aged even for them i keep on advising that you know this is the best thing to thing to do if you really don't have a use of it you know i don't believe in that you should compromise in your standard of living you know and uh, that money you got to invest because investment is not about uh, you know just return you know the end goal has to be how do you make your life uh, you know where you yourself are happy your so financially is, uh, free you know, living well finance. yeah because freedom is what will make you happy you tend to think that by making more and more money you know you will become uh, free but unfortunately it acts the other way around the more money you have you know the more insecurity sometimes you get the more stressed you get and actually you become less free so one has to be conscious that you know the the goal has to be how do you make yourself completely free of any pressure from anyone you know so first i will think of a way if that crore is going to use Uh, you know it has certain use to make our life even more you know freer i would uh, do that and i think you know as money there are too many people around us who need money much more you know so i keep on telling like if there is any need which you think is genuine you know your first thought has to be for you know that person or you know, so it's a uh, money that you are making because of everyone around you right it is not your wealth i even i have told my kids that you know you i can support you for your education but then you got to make your own career you cannot depend on the wealth that you know we have created this wealth that has been created is for rest of india you know it has to be uh, i mean india is in a great need right a lot of people are in i think the the biggest problem for india is the gap between the haves and the have nots and that gap gap has uh, gone up and it is not just the government's responsibility to take care of that i think each individual who is well to do i think he has to take that as his own responsibility and not just wait for the government to do it you know so whatever way you can help elevate the level of anyone who is below you i think that's where your money has to be spent that's so nice i i love to hear that what what you do and how you think about this thank you for sharing that uh, you mentioned children my second question was going to be how you teaching our children about investing <laughs> are you are they, I, i don't know how old they are so right no my daughter is uh, in college she is in the second year uh, uh, nid uh, amdabad so she is on the design side and uh, you know she has zero interest in investment no she is completely boring stuff huh? <laughs> that is <laughs> direct doing boring stuff she doesn't even know what dad is uh, doing she is completely focused on her art and her uh, design and fortunately nice. for her she at least could get into something where she is doing that 100% of the of right. the time yeah. uh my son i mean we do have conversations i told him that the only way you can learn about investment is by doing it yourself right so i even, even opened uh, up a zero the account for him i have funded him uh, 1 lakh rupees but wow. uh, so far he has done nothing about it is <laughs> <laughs> probably so, inherited in your caution in the later <laughs> stages of life he's probably doing all the research in his head right now 
right right so i mean he's in the 11th standard but his interests today are very different you know it's more about his friend circle and hanging yes. out with them and doing a lot of other exciting things then this i even told him if you, even if you want to get into crypto if it excites you just right. yeah learn about it right but uh, so far uh, not been there and we are not the parents who are going to force the kids to do it you know i think they will have to find their own path you know yeah, because, because there is no right and yeah. yeah there is no right and wrong in any path or in any career that uh, they choose it's more important that you at least figure out what is your passion whether it makes money for you or not i think money will come uh, later on but it's important that you guide your kids to at least find their passion and support them in their passion irrespective of what your perception is about that career yeah. so that's what we uh, try to do but uh, unfortunately so far my son hasn't found any <laughs> any direction yet okay my last question so Please. buffett famously doesn't sit near wall street right he's far away in omaha nebraska uh you are f- relatively far away from bombay where all the stock market activities you are in pune so why i'm i'm going to ask you why pune and then i'm also going to say that did your pwc experience working with manufacturing companies and all have a role to play that you like that kind of an environment this <laughs> pune is all about manufacturing and engineering and all that right it is it is yes no i mean the uh, it wasn't really a uh, you know really planned or thought out decision it said when we came back to uh, mumbai in 2006 uh, we used to live in uh, kalanagar you know bandra east and my job was in uh, mariban point and at that time there was no ceiling or any of that you know so it used to take me one and a half hours to one way you know so three hours waste of time there was no ola uber or you know any ac taxi it was all kalipili and uh, i thought it was very frustrating you know spending uh, three hours a day without you can't even read you're just sitting in uh, pollution stuck in traffic and fortunately for us couple of our friends had moved back to pune from us and we for the first time i never visited pune before then we you know went there to hang out for a weekend couple of times and we really liked it you know it was green much peaceful away from noise not much of uh, you know traffic vibrant much yeah. much better uh, weather and this, you know the korega park area all of that we really liked and then we took a decision you know a lot of those decisions we have taken uh, you know at the spur of the moment and we moved here because it made sense you know that uh, good schooling uh, and for me i am not that social a person that i uh, you know hang out with a lot of investors or i talk a lot about uh, you are one of those guys who says okay i have free time let me stretch my legs and read an annual report huh? <laughs> yeah or or do meditation or something like that you know i would rather avoid any social gathering or you know that's how you know i i am and it works out uh, well for me at least it gives me uh, you know non bias i have my independent thinking if you hang out i mean, like when i go for a conference there itself you get bombardment bombarded with so many ideas and then once you hear those ideas you know you get biased and then you keep on focusing you know if these guys liking it must be good and and generally it is part of the herd you know because they are not just talking to me they are also talking to 100 different other people yeah. you know and then the circle is so small that everyone knows about those same ideas and typically you end up becoming part of that herd 
you know, and in a herd, you will never get the great uh, valuations. Or, you'll you'll uh, get the average. You'll get what everyone. You'll getting. get the average. Yeah, everyone is getting. So by staying away, at least, uh, you know, here you get your peace of mind. I don't waste much of time, you know, between back and forth. Uh, I waste 40 minutes of my time and that too peaceful, peaceful, you know, drive through the greenery. And I get to focus on, you know, what I, what we all really enjoy and keep me happy, you know, without having to forcefully do things for, you know, the sake of it. And I'm so happy for all the success you've had and the decisions you've made. Samit, it was wonderful talking to you and very thought-provoking. I, I loved the ideas you've shared. And uh, yeah, I'm just so glad that we finally got to chat to each other on the Investor Hour. Yeah? No, no, I am. Uh, it is my absolute pleasure. I uh, thought it was going to be a lot of, you know, what sectors you like or what uh, <laughs> stocks which gets covered all, all over the place. This was a very pleasant uh, interview. Thank you for that. Thank you, Samit. Thank you for listening to the Investor Hour. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about this episode or the podcast in general. Be sure to write to me at info at equitymaster.com. That's I-N-F-O at equitymaster.com. Thank you once again and see you at the next edition of the Investor Hour. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.